Welcome to the podcast of Koinonia Okotoks Youth. Thank you for joining us as we study the word. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Thank you guys for joining me this morning. I hope uh, this past week has been good for y'all with some of y'all starting school. Uh, This morning, we're going to be finishing off the book of 1 Kings. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 29 and read through the end of the chapter. Uh, Just a quick review over the last couple weeks, uh, we have gone through, uh, specifically last week, a section that was full of lessons that uh, were good to learn. Uh, We saw first how Ahab never brought God into the equation when decisions needed to be made, leading us to ask, do we try to do things by ourselves or do we ask God? We also saw that Ahab hated Micaiah, which means he hated God. Right? His this hatred was because the prophets would tell the truth, shining light on darkness. We need to be walking in the light, allowing the light to expose the dark things in us, right? Because that's how we change when we know what needs to be changed. The third thing we saw was that Ahab knew what was right to do, but still did what was wrong and wanted to do it. He had no desire to do the right thing. When we know what the right thing is, we need to be doing it, not putting it off to the side. And lastly, we saw how Micaiah gave Ahab one last chance to hear him while he was being carted away to prison. Even in the face of persecution, Micaiah wanted to see Ahab do the right thing. Now, do we have the same attitude when persecution comes our way, when we face persecution? So this morning, we're going to be looking at the death of Ahab as well as the reign of Jehoshaphat, as well and the reign of Ahaziah, Ahab's son. But before we do that, let's pray, and then we will dive on in. So Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this chance that we have to come together and study your word, Lord. I thank you over the past six months of studying through First Kings, Lord. I just pray that as we come to the end, that we'll really be taking these lessons to heart. Lord, help us to take them and apply them to our lives. Uh, learn from the mistakes of the the people in the past, Lord, and uh, and really change for your kingdom, Lord. I pray this all in your name. Amen. So, starting off, um, I've entitled this message, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, the first point is technically the bad, so it'll go the bad, the good, the ugly. So, starting with um, the first point... Uh, remembering last week that Ahab was told by 400 heathen prophets to go up and prosper at Ramoth Gilead. And he was told by Micaiah, the prophet of the Lord, to not do so. Can you guess what he, who he listened to? Not Micaiah. He got sent to prison for the audacity to suggest that he doesn't go to battle. So that's where we pick up the story. In verse 29 through 30, it says, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. So the couple of verses we just read are pretty cut and dry. 
they went up to try and take back Ramoth Gilead by force. Ahab shows us how stubborn he is. He goes up to fight to spite Micaiah and the prophecy that predicted his death. Knowing the fact that Ahab is stubborn, it is very easy for us to understand the reasoning why Ahab wanted to go into battle. The thing that's hard to understand is why Jehoshaphat went along with him. Remember, Jehoshaphat is this godly king of Judah, right? We saw how he insisted last week on hearing from the word, uh, hearing from the Lord when uh, Ahab wanted to attack Ramoth Gilead. We also saw that he insisted um, on hearing from Micaiah after hearing the 400s prophecy. He also then rebuked Ahab when Ahab stated the hatred that he had for Micaiah. The only thing we did not see from from Jehoshaphat last week was him fight over the decision that Micaiah was to go to prison. Other than that, Jehoshaphat was pretty upright in all his decisions. So why did he go along with Ahab here? We don't actually get an explanation because the writer is focused on Ahab's part of the story. But that does not stop us from speculating on why he did join Ahab here. Now, what I believe happened here is that Jehoshaphat, he was trying to build diplomatic relation between Israel and Judah. In other words, he was trying to make peace between the two. As we'll study a bit later today, we know that Jehoshaphat made peace between Israel and Judah. So that's where I get that belief from. So he very well could have gone along with this just in the interest of peace. Now, we see something, uh, the similar idea put forth in Galatians chapter 2, when Barnabas followed the Jews' hypocrisy. Um, Looking at verse 11 through 13, it says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now, just to give some context to this, Paul is rebuking Peter for favoring the Jews over the Gentiles, right? Showing legalism. Now, Barnabas also went along with this. Barnabas, this is the same Barnabas who traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys. He fell to his emotions. And so does Jehoshaphat here. Right? We should not be allowing our emotions to rule our lives. Instead, we should be looking to God, putting into practice what it says in Psalm 119, verse 105, that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Right? What we also see is that Jehoshaphat follows Ahab's battle plan, by, uh, which puts a target on his back. The plan was that Ahab would be disguised as a regular soldier, but that Jehoshaphat, he wouldn't. He'd be going out in his kingly robes. Now, just to give some context here on ancient battle, 
their goal was always to kill the king, right? Um, a good example of this is uh, Alexander the Great's first conquest. The battle was against um, was against Persia. Persia outnumbered them. I think it was like six to one. Like they had no chance to win. They knew they had no chance to win, but their strategy was to uh, basically pull the army apart and have a corridor to the king of Persia to kill him, right? So ancient war and most strategies in any war um, consist of trying to kill the opposing leader. So by Jehoshaphat agreeing to this plan, he was putting a target on his back. He was putting himself in harm's way. The first two verses that we just read, they discredit Jehoshaphat. Though he was a godly king, they're discrediting him. They're not doing any good for him. His decisions are poor. Uh, But we'll discuss the consequences of his decisions in a moment. But before we do that, we move on to see the death of Ahab. It says in verse 31 through 36, Now the king of Syria had commanded the thirty-two captains of his chariots, saying, Fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was, when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out, And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of the chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then the sun was going down. A shout went throughout the army, saying, Every man to his city and every man to his own country. What we see is the battle is upon them. The Syrians had one objective, just as I said, kill the king. They were not to worry about anyone except the king of Israel. So Ahab, he looks like a genius here. Right? His plan to disguise himself is working because he was clearly on the most wanted list of the Syrians. Now, of course, Jehoshaphat found himself in danger immediately because of his decisions. He was the only recognizable king on the battlefield. So obviously, everybody assumed he was the king of Israel. His decision to follow Ahab is coming back to bite him in the butt. Now we see that it says Jehoshaphat cried out in, uh, here in 1 Kings. But if you were to look at the same account in 2 Chronicles 18 verse 31, it says, So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack, but Jehoshaphat cried out and the Lord helped him and God diverted them from him. So Jehoshaphat, he cried out to the Lord and was heard. 
Though he made the mistake to follow and join Ahab in battle, he turned to God in his moment of need. Interestingly, Jehoshaphat went back to his people, back to Judah after this, and brought God with him. We see that if you read on into chapter 19 of 2 Chronicles. He understood the mistake he made, and he turned back to God. And Israel and Judah was stronger for it. Now, I wish things could have turned out better for Ahab as well, but sadly, they don't. He dies. After the Syrians realized that it was not the king of Israel that they were chasing, they stopped pursuing and turned back. Just at that moment, an archer at random shot an arrow, not aiming at anybody. It's battle. You're just shooting arrows. Right? And this one arrow hit Ahab in the perfect spot, right between the armor. It's like, if any of you guys are Lord of the Rings fans, like in The Hobbit, when Smaug uh, got attacked like the first time, how like there's that one spot between the scale that was peeling that they had to aim for. Right? That's basically what's happening. It's like they're just shooting an arrow and it hits the perfect spot. Right? So, and that archer's just shooting at random. He's not aiming. I love how Guzik summarized this turn of events. He says, This seemed to be pure chance. It was a certain man and he pulled his bow at random. But it struck as if it were a sin-seeking missile. God orchestrated the unintended actions of man to result in exercise of his judgment. It was not random that Ahab got killed. It was God's judgment on him. The last thing Ahab sees before he dies is the battle. He gets carried out of, of the battle on his chariot because he realizes he's been shot, he's been hit, and then he gets propped up on his chariot watching the battle. I can only imagine what's going through his head because it's not written, right? We don't see any of this, but who, like, who knows? He could have been thinking he was wrong. He could have come to that realization. Right? He's watching the battle that's of his own making. That could be one of the things going through his head as he's dying, watching it happen. Now, once his death was known, the battle was over. It came to a halt. Everybody went home. What a sad death Ahab's is. But it was God orchestrated. Ahab never returned in peace, just like Micaiah had prophesied. Micaiah's word came true, proving God was right. Now we also see in verse 37 through 40 that judgment prophesied by Elijah also came to pass. It says, So the king of the king died. And was brought to Samaria, and they buried him, buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariots at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up the blood 
uh, his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he built and all the cities which that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers, then Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. The dogs licked up his blood. That same judgment that God had shown mercy on Ahab for repenting and turning and coming humbly gets passed. Right? This that's judgment we found in verse chapter 21. The dogs licked up his blood and he rested with his fathers, passing the kingdom on to Ahaziah, who will as we will see later this morning did worse than him. Both Ahab and Jehoshaphat, they allowed their emotions to guide them. If this is one one thing we can take away from this battle that happened, is the question, what role do emotions play in our lives? Do we rely on them? Or do we rely on God? I strongly encourage you guys to be relying on God and not your emotions. Moving on, we'll... We get to see the summary of Jehoshaphat's reign in uh, the second point, the good. It says in verse 41 through 44, Then uh, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned, uh, and he reigned, 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shilhi, and he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from doing from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken down, for the people offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat, he took over as king from Asa, who had previously reigned 41 years. Throughout the reign of Asa, six kings came and five kings died. Ahab died 18 years um, after Asa had died. Besides learning about Jehoshaphat at the beginning of chapter 22 here, this is the first mention of a king of Judah since chapter 15 of 1 Kings. So it's quite amazing that over the course of Asa's reign, so many kings came. They prospered because God was central. Asa was a very godly king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And what we see here is that Jehoshaphat followed after God, just as his father followed after God. He did what was right. This is a wonderful contrast to hear that he did the right thing after studying Ahab's life, where Ahab seemed to constantly do the wrong thing. So it's a good contrast here. I love that. But though he did what was right, 
we also see that he failed in the exact same way as his father. He did not remove the high places. Judah had the temple of the Lord. Right, the Sol- temple Solomon had built. There was no need for high places. There was no need to burn incense or offer sacrifices at these high places. Yet they still did, and yet they still were not removed. But though he failed in this er- in this area, he was still a good king. Also, though he made the mistake to follow Ahab into battle, he was also still a good king. Nobody listening here or in person can tell me they are a perfect person. I can't say it. I know Emily can't say it. We're not perfect. We all fail. The same goes for Jehoshaphat. He's not perfect. He fails. But we are not defined by how we fail, but how we get up and keep moving forward. Right? Brush ourselves off and move ahead. If we were to flip to Hebrews and read all of chapter 11, which we do not have time for this morning, um, we'd be reading chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith. Right, you would read account after account after account of saints and how they followed after God, showing faith in Him. Right, how Abraham left uh, left his land and and followed God through faith. But it, like the things that are, if you were to actually go through Genesis, you would see that he failed constantly. You can look at Isaac and Jacob, or Isaac and Abraham, and see that they fell to the exact same problem every single time they always constantly failed to make mention that uh their wives were their wives they would always call them their sister just so they wouldn't die they weren't perfect oftentimes it would end up with some curses on the people who they did it to right they failed just like we fail yet their lives they weren't defined by their failure They were defined by their faith. They were defined by how they got up and followed God. It doesn't matter how many times you fall. It matters how many times you get back up. Just like it says in Proverbs 24, 16 in the ESV, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. Run the race well finish strong it doesn't matter how many times you fall it matters how many times you get back up now what we see uh we see that jehoshaphat did more if you look at verses 45 through 50 it says now the rest of the acts of jehoshaphat the might that he showed and how he made war are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of judah and the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the land or remained in the days of his father Esau, he banished from the land. There was no, there was then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion-Geber. 
Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with you, with your servants, in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried in his, with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. So, yes, Jehoshaphat did not remove the high places, but he did remove the wicked and perverted people from the land. The last thing we see here before we move on and quickly cover Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, is that Jehoshaphat seemed to learn from his previous mistake. We are told that there was no king in Edom. Which is pretty much just here to explain the reasoning as to why Jehoshaphat was building ships at Ezion Geber, because Ezion Geber was Edomite territory. So there was no king, so Jehoshaphat did this. Jehoshaphat built merchant ships so that they could go and get some gold from Ophir, just like Solomon did back in the day. And of course, the ships get wrecked and never sail. This is where we see Jehoshaphat learn from his previous mistake. When Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, comes offering his help, in turn allowing his servants to go with them, Jehoshaphat says no. He learned the lesson of not joining with the ungodly. Now, of course, if you were to go to 2 Chronicles again, you would see that he actually did accept Ahaziah's the first time which could have been the reason why they shipwrecked in the first place. And then he said no. So, But still, he learned his lesson and didn't join with the ungodly. We see it here that he would not accept. So Jehoshaphat, he rested with his fathers. He was a godly king. He, of course, he had his ups and downs, but he ended strong. It doesn't matter how we start it matters how we finish it doesn't matter what bumps come along the way it matters how we push through and finish strong run the race well finish strong so lastly this leads us to uh, the last three verses of first kings and what a ride it's been looking at verses 51 through 53 it says Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who, made, who had made Israel sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. Remember that God had said that judgment would be passed down from Ahab to Ahaziah. Well, we see here that Ahaziah was no better than his father. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and not only walked in the ways of Ahab, but he walked in the ways of Jezebel, his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam. Remembering Jeroboam was the first king of 
Israel, the ten tribes, and he was the measuring stick for all kings of Israel, for all evil kings. If they did evil, they were measured up to him. So he was worse than all the kings of Israel. That's, that says something. Luckily, his reign was a short one, though. He reigned for two years. Now, if you were to do the math, interestingly enough, Ahaziah likely only reigned for about one year himself. Only him. I love how one commentator put it. He says, by comparing this verse with verse 41, it appears that Ahaziah was made king by his father, being Ahab, and reigned in conjunction with him a year or two before Ahab's death. So, he only reigned one year, and he did evil in that one year that he was alone, so much so that he, he was, like, God passed judgment. That's pretty bad. So, we end the book of First Kings on somewhat of a low note. We started with David's life coming to an end, with an ember burning, almost put out. And now we finish with one of the worst and most wicked kings in all Israel's history. Quite a way we've gone. Quite, quite a distance Israel has traveled since the days of David. So my question to you guys as we close the book on 1 Kings is this. Who do you follow? Do you follow after the evil and wicked ways of the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel? Or do you follow after the ways of the few good of the few good ones? Follow after God. That's what we do. That's what it means to serve is to follow him. Right? Just like Jesus says to his disciples, "Follow me." Follow God. So in closing, we saw two things this morning. First, we saw Jehoshaphat follow his emotions and make a couple really stupid decisions to follow Ahab. We also saw stubborn Ahab go into battle just to try and beat a prophecy that was not going to be beaten. He relied on his emotions just like Jehoshaphat did. Do we rely on our emotions or do we rely on God? Please rely on God. And the second thing is Jehoshaphat failed on a couple of occasions written here. The thing is, it doesn't matter how many times you fall. It matters how many times you get back up. Dust yourself off. Keep running that race with endurance. Finish well. Finish strong run that race let's pray heavenly father lord i thank you for this this morning i thank you for the book of first kings and everything we've been able to learn through it lord it's been quite the ride lord i just pray that you're helping us to helping us daily follow after you in this world that's growing dark give us the strength and the courage to live for you 
Lord, I also pray that you help us to rely on you. Lord, you are our strength. You are our source of comfort. You will protect and guide and lead. Lord, just help us to put all our faith and trust in you. And help us, Lord, as it feels like the world kind of weighs us down and it, it, it's a wearying thing. Lord, help us to run this race well. Right, Help us to put on that armor and just finish to follow after you. Lord, we love you. We pray. We thank you for this time, and we uh, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or concerns, we would love to get your feedback. You can message us on our Instagram or our Facebook.